Good morning, church family. My name is Kelly, and I am proud to now be a part of the Worship in Arts Division team. Um, Our scripture reading today is from the book of Daniel, chapter 4. And if you're able, please let us stand for the reading of God's word. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream. But they could not interpret it. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. I said, here is my dream. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. from From it, every creature was fed. I looked, and there before me was a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. This is a dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Bethesizer, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Balthasar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Balthasar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Balthasar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Then he said, this is the interpretation, your majesty. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. 
It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as his words were on his lips, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Kelly. And to all the children or students who are here, if you would like to take out one of those sheets of paper in the, in the pews in front of you and draw a picture from what you heard Kelly just reading, or what me, I'll be saying, please do it. On this particular Sunday morning, when we're going to be celebrating or thinking about those who are going to school, school beginning, I decided to think back to when I was a student, and I actually was a grade school student once, believe it or not. I found a picture of me in <laughs> third or fourth grade. I, I didn't know if you'd believe me that, that, uh, about that, but I remember when I was that age, I went to the high school graduation of one of my cousins, and I remember thinking this, I thought, it's going to be years before I graduate. I, I'll never hang in there that long. Did, were you ever there, any of you? But I did, believe it. I did, and those of you who have done the same sort of thing and actually finished high school, you know it is, as Eugene Peterson calls his book, a long journey or obedience in the same direction. You sort of set your goals in mind for when you're going to graduate, and then you have to do step by step what you have to do. Show up at class, listen sometimes, get your homework done, take your tests, write your paper day after day, year after year, and then lo and behold, I was the one walking across the platform. I actually finished high school. All of this is kind of a principle for life. There is an author, uh, Stephen Covey, many years ago wrote a book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of those habits is begin with the end in mind. What he, he meant was look and see where it is you want to head. Start, end, start with that destination and then make decisions day by day that head in that direction and eventually you'll end up there. As I read the Bible, it seems to me that that's the way God works. He really has an end in mind for this world that he made. 
It's in Revelation 21 and 22. When he's done this messed up world, everything's going to be right. It's going to be a kingdom of justice and peace. Well, look forward to it. And he has an end in mind for you and me too. Uh, what he starts in our lives when we trust him, he says, I will bring it to completion. So those things imperfect about us, and we all have them, amen? Uh, he says they won't still be there. Someday we'll be what God created us to be in the first place, conformed to the image of Christ. Now, we believe this. This is good news. This is the heart of what the Bible teaches. It's what brings us to church. And yet, when we ask the question, what does that look like, this long obedience in the same direction. One of the things I love about the Bible is it gives us these stories of real people in the Bible and, and we see how God works in people and through people and today in Daniel chapter four, we come again to two of them. And that's what we're gonna look at. We come to a man named King Nebuchadnezzar II who was perhaps the most powerful man in the history of the world. Uh, and we're going to see how God begins to do a work in his life. Excuse me. Then we're going to look at um, Daniel, also called Belteshazzar. Um, he was God's man in Babylon, sent there to represent him. And what we're going to see is how God chose to work through him over many years. And the thing that you're going to see is what I often call the persistent patience of God. He doesn't give up on us easily. <laughs> so let's think about that today. Let's think about Nebuchadnezzar first. Uh, and in this, I want us to think about how God works in you and in me. And here's what I want to tell you, that God has a long-term vision, an end for your life. And what he calls you to do is to entrust every part of your life journey to him. So let's go back here into uh, the story that Kelly read for us. If you had lived back in that world and somebody had asked you, who is the least likely person in the entire world to surrender his or her life to God? I think 100% of the people polled would say, well, that's easy. It's King Nebuchadnezzar. But one of the things this summer is I've studied this again that has just fascinated me is that God didn't look at Nebuchadnezzar that way. He always had hope for this brutal man. And what we see in the way that God worked in him is the patience of God, how it just seems episode by episode, God was doing things to draw him closer to himself. Like what do you ask? If you haven't been here, I'll just walk you through it so quickly. Chapter one, Nebuchadnezzar met some of God's people. He brought these four teenage boys in from Jerusalem. Teenage boys who, because of their genuine commitment to God, refused to eat the best food in the world, <laughs> the king's own food, and drink his wine. And instead, they said, we will obey God no matter what. Then at the end of that, when he personally interrogated them, this is what the Bible tells us. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the wise men in his whole kingdom. Verse 20. Don't you think he must have begun to wonder uh, what makes these boys so different who are so committed to this God? Chapter 2. Uh, he began to learn of a God who knows more than we know, who can reveal mysteries. 
So, you know, God sent Nebuchadnezzar this terrifying dream of a statue with his head on it, but with, with clay feet, and the whole thing tumbles and is blown away. He calls in his dream interpreters. That they have to tell him what the dream is, as well as to interpret it. They can't do it. But Daniel can because of the provision of God. And Nebuchadnezzar learns something about God there. He says, well, there is a God who knows more than other gods. And at least this, he says in verse 47, there is a God who is a revealer of mysteries. Chapter 3, he experienced a God who saves. So when three of those Jewish boys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down to this 90-foot tall gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He became, you remember, furious. He's kind of a volatile man. And he insisted that they be thrown into the fiery furnace. But you remember what happened when he threw them into that fiery furnace. He looked, he said, wait a minute. Didn't we just throw three men into the fiery furnace? Do you see four men in there? He <laughs> said, and that fourth one looks like a son of the gods. And at the end of this, he, he said, I've learned this, that no other God that I know of can save in this way. That's verse 29. You know, as, as I think about this with Nebuchadnezzar, he, he's like so many of you, as you've told me how you came to faith in Jesus, you, you met some other people who were Christians and there seemed to be something that was good there and they invited you to something. Like what? Well, maybe like a, a car show and a chili cook-off. <laughs> you might say, you know, I like cars and I like chili, so I'll, I'll go ahead and show up there. And then you show up and you say, as some people tell me at those things, they say, you know, these church people aren't quite as weird as I thought all of you would be, though maybe some of you are, but not all. You know, not all. And, and then you give them a book, and then maybe they show up for a concert or something, and eventually something happens in their lives, and you come to faith in Jesus. Many of you have come to faith in just that way, and it seems like that's what's happening here. God breaking into his life again and again and again until finally, 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 in chapter 4, he surrendered his life to the king of heaven. Chapter 4, verse 4, uh, it's clear that he wasn't there yet. But indeed, he gets there. And by the end of this chapter, he tells us, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and glorify not myself anymore, <laughs> but the king of heaven. What happened to him? Well, it happened about 30 to 35 years in, into his reign. By the time you get to Daniel chapter 4, he really had become the most powerful man in the world. He defeated every other army in the entire known world. There's nobody who could oppose him. He was wealthy. He had everything anybody could want. And he says in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Well, prosperous he was. Contented? Not for long, not for long. Once again, God, I think out of love for Nebuchadnezzar, sent him another terrifying dream. This time it wasn't of a statue, it was of this magnificent cosmic tree. This might be something you want to draw if you're drawing something. I showed you one artist's rendering of this. I don't think it's a very good one. <laughs> it's a tree that keeps growing until it covered the entire known world. And, and you heard it as Kelly read it. This tree was meant to bring just benefit and blessing to everything. 
to all the birds, to all the animals, to all the people that were there, but it didn't seem that it was doing that. So that in this dream, from heaven, a messenger came that was told to chop down that tree, uh, leaving only a stump. Yes, there was still some life there, but it was being drenched and living as a mindless beast until seven seasons pass, which could be anything from two to even seven years. So as in uh, chapter 2, you know what the king did? After having an awful dream like that, he called in all of his interpreters of dreams and said, what does this mean? And they could not or they would not interpret the dream. And I say would not because I don't think that dream was all that hard to interpret. <laughs> I think they didn't want to tell him what it meant because this dream was bad news for this for this brutal king. He didn't like bad news to be given to him. He didn't like people to criticize him. When people criticized him or didn't do what he said, he threw them in the fiery furnaces or he lopped off their heads. So you know what they said? Why don't you call in Daniel? Maybe he can tell. <laughs> so that's exactly what he did. He, he calls Daniel in. And you, and you heard in the reading today what Daniel told him, that the tree was King Nebuchadnezzar. And it meant that God had put him in that position, that it, as he gives to anybody authority, we are meant to bring blessing to those under authority. But he had acted wickedly and had oppressed people, so now the king is going to have to be humbled. The king would be the one who would lose his mind and his power and would live as a wild animal for all these years until at last he would come to acknowledge something, that there is a God who rules over everything, yes, even over the king of Babylon. And it all happened just as God had foretold it. The king lost his mind and he lived as a beast for all those years. And then eventually, Nebuchadnezzar did surrender to God and God received him. This is this beautiful humility of God who waits for us and when we come, he receives us. And so he says in verses 36 to 37, he said, when I did, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I, I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, in that, I want you to see the way God, over these many, many years, never gave up. And there are a couple of lessons that I want you to make sure that you remember. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe God's tried to break into your life many times, and you keep holding him at arm's length, keep holding on to things. He keeps telling you to know no longer that. Let me tell you two things. One, God is, and I'll use an old word, long-suffering with us. One of the beautiful things about the God of the Bible is he is persistently patient with us. He understands us that we walk away from him. But what I see in this is that while perhaps nobody else really loved this king, God did. Today, whatever else is in your life, God loves you with an everlasting and unrelenting love. He, he just agonizes when you walk away from him and disregard him and live in ways as Nebuchadnezzar did that even perhaps are destructive to those around you. But God never gave up on him. I, I think about, don't you, God always works with us with the long game in mind. He's always standing at the door of our hearts saying, I'm ready to come in. 
Don't you know that I'm, your, your life's never going to be what it should be until you give that thing over to me. I'm ready to come in. Maybe he's doing that in your life even today. It's the first thing I want you to see. God is persistently patient with you. But the other thing you've got to know at the same time as Nebuchadnezzar had to come to grips with is that God alone is God. And nothing else should be in his place, including you and me. The king needed to surrender to God, and so do we. Um, isn't it evident that, from what I went over that God had been working in Nebuchadnezzar's life for many, many years? But there was something all of these years that the king just refused to give up to God. There was something he had to own up to and then let go of. All right, from the things that you've heard already, what do you think was in Nebuchadnezzar's life that he just had to own up to and, and give up? I don't know if you want to yell it out or if it's just too many people here. All those things. <laughs> I, I think the big things, the heart of it all, and I heard it over here, was pride. Was there, he had put himself into the place of God. And I think often that is the root of everything. There's just something we say I cannot give up to him. Sometimes specifically, it comes out in different ways, but amazingly in this story, well, even after that second terrifying dream, you would think, now I better, get, I, I better get things right with God, right? Did you notice verse 29, how it started? 12 months later. Why aren't you in awe of this? 12 months later, he just ignored it. And he was still the same as before. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And immediately, he was turned into a wild beast. Ah, he had to surrender himself and his pride to the king who was over all kings, including over him, but he just couldn't do it. But I'll tell you, the, the good thing is, even though it took a devastating loss of everything that was important in his life, he finally did trust God. And years later, Nebuchadnezzar stood in wonder at the patient God who never gave up on him. And I love verse 36. I was restored. I was restored. So I've got to ask, you know I have to ask you this. Do you see anything in your own life that you just will not give up to God? Could be a specific practice, uh, cheating or stealing. This begins in our childhood, right? Sometimes it becomes so deeply ingrained. As sometimes it's our speech. Deceiving and, and lying and, and gossiping set in. Sometimes more and more, and I think in our world, uh, it's in our minds. There becomes a bondage of always that pathway that leads to pornography. Perhaps there's been something that God, again and again, you show up at church and God speaks and he said, that, that you know that's ruining your life and those around you, I want you to, to give that up to me. And you feel like, I want to hold on. You go out 12 months later. I'll tell you, the time comes when God speaks to you to surrender that thing to him today. He can set you free. He will forgive you, and he can set you free. You may have to utilize a lot of the resources he provides, even a church like ours, some counseling that may be needed. 
small groups or a, or a group of friends who will stand with you and hold you accountable. We're willing to stand with you and pray with you. But all I want to say today is this. If you have come and, and uh, God needs to send you a terrifying dream, maybe this sermon is that. Maybe this sermon is that. When he speaks to you, Turn to him and give those things to him in repentance and faith, and he will do it. He will cleanse you, and he will restore you too. That's the way God works in you. He never gives up on you. Okay, second. Let's look at Daniel just for a moment. It's not only that God is patient in working in us, but the way he works through us should also show that kind of patience. So here's, here's what I've jotted down as I look at the life of Daniel. The way God works in us shows us the way we should let him work through us. I don't know if you're with me here, but I'm going to point it out to you. I want us to consider how Daniel lived as a believer in God, placed in Babylon to serve this king. Just think of it. From the day Daniel went there, and if you weren't here, he was probably 14 or 15 years old when he went to Babylon. From the first day he went there, he, he was faithful to God, and God had blessed that faithfulness. He had risen high in the administration of Babylon. He may have been the second most prominent man in the entire uh, empire. But even as he was faithful to God, he was faithful to do something else. He was always faithful to serve his king. He cared about him as God cared about him. It comes out so poignantly uh, in the story. In verse 19, after Daniel had heard the dream and he grasped what this meant for the king. Nebuchadnezzar could see it. He said, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel's other name, don't, don't let the meaning of this dream trouble you. But Daniel said to him, my Lord, if only this dream applied to your enemies and not to you. See, um, Daniel had served this king for all of those years, 30, 35 years. He had seen how God kept breaking into the king's life and drawing him in again and again. And it seems to me that, David, that Daniel aligned his own way of witnessing to the king with what he saw God doing in the king's life. God was patient with the king in his own witness to the king. He wouldn't try to force him to do something that only God alone could do. Daniel knew what God had said to his forefather Abraham. And some of you, if you've been here for these last couple of months, remember when God first called Abraham, he said, I'm gonna bless you, but I'm gonna bless you not just for yourself, I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing to others wherever you are put. You know, that's why we're here as a church. We're supposed to be a blessing to our schools and to other places. God's people are blessed so that we can be a blessing. So now Daniel has been placed in Babylon. He would never have wanted to go there but he was sent there by God, and he was going to be a blessing to this king. God, Daniel then did that. He gave witness to God whenever he had the opportunity. But he was patient with this king and brought blessing serving this king, even as he waited for God to bring about that change that only God could bring. As I think about Daniel's life as a witness, I think his life was one of a long and faithful obedience in the same direction. So as I th thought about this, I thought about us here at Lake. You know, I'm going into my 12th year now. Can you, can you believe it? Sorry, I was younger when I came. <clears throat> in my 12 years here, so many, many of you 
have shared with me the, the pain that is in your heart about your children who have walked away from the Lord and from the church and how much you want them to come back to the Lord. So many of you that's, have done that. So many of you have talked to me about your, your spouse, how much you want your spouse to come to know Christ or your parent to even acknowledge that God is there. Or, and now I'm hearing it more and more, my, my roommate at college or a good friend just to acknowledge God. So many times, what do we want? We want this to happen quickly, right? Somehow we want to have, what, what do I need to do, pastor? Will you come and try to argue them into the kingdom of God? We want some sort of foolproof way of convincing people that God loves them or that they should change their ways. You know, maybe, maybe today you've come and what God is saying to you is, learn to develop the patience of God and align the way you witness to that one you care about with the way that God works in our lives. I think Daniel sort of teaches us how to do this. So I just jotted down some things I want to show you. It might be helpful to you how we might be able, I call it characteristics of patient witness to those we care about. <laughs> A couple of things I jotted down. Number one, make sure you always want the best for that other person. Doesn't it sometimes seem like we as Christians, the main thing we, we want to do, it feels like we have to win the argument about what is right or wrong, about what is good or bad, and surely we have to stand for what is right and what is good, but I think the starting point should never be there. The starting point should be we really want our lives to be a blessing to them, even if they walk away from us. I love it. Daniel didn't want this king's demise. He cared about the king. He wanted God's best for the king, and that should always be our starting point. Are you with me there? Uh, second. At the same time, be ready to speak truth when you have the opportunity, no matter what it might cost. I mean, the, the angst of this, this dream of the cosmic tree and the, 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 that angst that it created in the king's heart really gave him, led him to invite Daniel to speak truth into his life. Did you notice that? Daniel, what is this about? The thing that I see in this is that Daniel wasn't a man who was preaching to his king day after day after day. But then one day, God gave him an opportunity. <laughs> a door was opened, and Daniel seized it. It wasn't easy. The other people around the king, they cowered. <laughs> they came, we're going to tell this king that he's going to be turned into a beast. Let Daniel do that. They knew it could cost them their lives. But Daniel, though the, he, he too, I think, felt the fear of the king's volatility and his rage. He spoke to the king when the king most needed it. And I, I think you should pray that God would give you those opportunities too. Be ready to speak out of love when the opportunity is there. Third, I think sometimes we have to find the courage to call that other person to a different way of life. Many of the things that concern us is we see people walking in a way that they're getting trapped in drugs or in a way of life that we know it's going to be hard to ever get out of that addiction. But I don't want you to miss the point that after Daniel told the king the bad news about the dream, he did take the time to call the king to change his ways. He said, if you're going to know God, you've got to live differently. And it's found in verse 27. O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Well, here it goes. Renounce your sins, king. Oh, can you imagine saying that to Nebuchadnezzar? The fiery furnace for you. 
Renounce your sins, king, by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. One of the surest signs that we have met God is that we are kind to those he loves. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. For some of us as churchgoers, this change your ways now is our starting point. Okay, if we start there, what happens? If we just step in and we start yelling, you change your ways, right? Well, what happens? In my experience, you know, people only get mad at me. That's, that's what happens. But if for a long period of time we have consistently, genuinely longed for the best for other people and, and our own lives we've sought to bring blessing to them, then in those times of distress, distress which we all have, God gives us the opportunity to speak greater blessing into their lives, like he gave Daniel. And essentially, you see what Daniel said is, you've, you've got to quit lopping off people's heads. You, there's a better way to live, king, than doing that. You can care for people and care for the oppressed and be a blessing to them. He, uh, Daniel had to be personally convinced that living for God was better. I hope you're convinced of that too. But he had to then be courageous enough to call the king to follow the Lord. And then the fourth thing I'd say is, even when it's a long time, it was a long time for Daniel, Keep loving, keep serving, even when you see no change happening in that other person. Uh, as I read it, I think, don't you think Daniel took the time to discern how God deals with people? Daniel saw God's patience. Then Daniel aligned the way he gave witness to Nebuchadnezzar with the ways of God. God had never given up on this self-centered king, so Daniel wouldn't either. But when God broke in and called Nebuchadnezzar definitively to repentance and faith, Daniel became the one that God used to restore his life. All right, I'm about done. I really am. <laughs> uh, so let's think about those two people again. I wonder whether there's anything like Nebuchadnezzar that you see in your life. Are there some things that you brought to church with you that you know they don't please God, but you're holding on to them anyway. God was long-suffering with Nebuchadnezzar, but the time came when he broke in that it was time to get things right with God. Maybe this morning is that time for you. Maybe you just sense God saying, oh, this is why I'm here today, why I brought you here today. And maybe you're thinking, today I know is the time for me to get right with him. Did you see it? Eventually, God had to remove every earthly thing that mattered to this king so that he could eventually learn that nothing else really, really eternally matters except to be right with God. God had something so much better in mind for Nebuchadnezzar than what he was living, but he was stuck. He was stuck in his pride. Is there something you're stuck in today? Is, is God speaking to you? And I just want you to be ready even now to say, yes, Lord, today, I give that to you. I give all that I am to you. On the other side, you might be more like Daniel in the situation that you're in. There are people in your life that you really, really love. And you're so concerned. You wake up in the morning and you think about them and how far away from the Lord they were, as far you feel as Nebuchadnezzar was. Maybe God, God is saying to you is this, love them, love them anew. Want the very best for them. 
Commit to being a blessing to them. Ask me how you can be a blessing to them. It may be a long journey, but stay on it. And as you love them and serve them, look for an opportunity to tell them about my persistent patience, about my unending grace, and about my unrelenting love, which you know better than Daniel could have ever known it because you and I know about the Lord Jesus who came and was willing as the sinless one to give his life in our place. We know that he didn't give his life to ruin anybody's life so that if we invite anybody to follow him, it will be to find life, not to destroy their lives. Amen? So today I, I pray that if you are to have something that you need to surrender to him, that you will. If there's someone you need to be more patient with, that you will, that you'll give witness to him and find God doing what he always does, continuing to draw, continuing to bless, continuing to restore, and it will be to your joy, and it will be to his glory. Amen. Amen. So let me lead us in prayer. Father, I pray you'd take this, your word. I pray you've been faithful to it. Use it in our lives. Father, I pray those of us who have come today might leave this place different because we have met you. Take this, your word, and apply it in whatever way you will. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.